Steps on, going for Fitzgerald, touchdown Arizona. David Johnson off to the races. He will score, touchdown Arizona. And it is Patrick Peterson who comes up with the spectacular interception. Welcome to the 98th episode of the UK's Best Arizona Cardinals podcast, the British Bird Gun Breakdown, where all hopes and dreams obtained in the first two weeks have been smashed to smithereens. Another Cardinals defeat to dissect. So as ever, I'm Tom, and I'm joined by Callum to do just that. Hi, I'm Callum, and I'm here to talk about a Cardinals team with a 500 record. You'd have thought that after the first two weeks. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not where I thought we would be, um, and definitely out of the... uh, Four games we've played, not the two that I would have seen as losing if I'd known we were going to lose two. We have to struggle on there as Cardinals fans, you know. We never live up to the expectations we have on the team. Yeah, I, I don't know why I am not used to it at this point. You know, it's like it happens every single year in the same way. So you would think I would be, um, yeah, you'd think I'd be used to it by now, but uh, evidently not. One day they won't let us down. But obviously, that Sunday was not one of those days. No, it really wasn't. Um, and I'm sure we'll get onto the game recap because I, mean, I can't think of any news. Do you know of any news? No, we've got no news written down on the document this week. So I suppose we'll just jump straight into the game recap. Cardinals 21, Panthers 31. And normally we'd be straight into the positives. And I think for the first time ever on this podcast, we were struggling to come up with a single positive. Yeah, and in the words of Cliff Kingsbury when he was asked if there were any positive takeaways from Sunday's loss to the Panthers, his reply was, I don't believe so. So, you know, that'll do it for this week's positives. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, do, do we really have anything else? Like, even the player of the game poll was uh, pretty crazy. Well, I mean, we still got the player of the game poll to give out, and that went to Kyler Murray, although he didn't actually win the poll because 76% of people chose the I don't even care option. However, that's not a player on the team. So Kyler, with 11% of the vote, takes the week four player of the game award. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's just where we're at, I think, especially after that game. That's That seems to have been one of the most sort of um, decisively unifying Cardinals games I've ever seen, and especially in losses, because everyone was just on the bandwagon of like, well, what's the point? So... Um, yeah, seeing you know, seeing Kyler Murray pick up the second place, like I guess that's just you know that's almost like lost to the statistic, really, isn't it? It is. I suppose instead of like spending half an hour on positives like we've done the past few weeks, we're going to spend like who knows how long just breaking down the defeat. Yeah, uh, and we've got a fair few actually. <laughs> it's like um, usually you know. Uh, to, to show behind the scenes a little bit here, usually on our, our Google Doc that we have shared here, Tom will have written down like half a page of positives and maybe a few lines of negatives. And there is, I think, nearly two solid pages of negatives right there. Um, so we we got, got a lot to go through. I mean, in defense, quite a big section of this negative part is a rant that I've got, which I think I should share here because it's Cardinals related. I think you should. 
so expect to hear a lot of talking from me in a moment. So, <laughs> so it seems that the preseason hype was not warranted for the Cardinals. Although I didn't think we were a Super Bowl caliber team, but definitely around 0-500. Maybe even able to sneak the seventh seed in the playoffs. That's still probably a possibility, but you know we need to play a lot better. As was said before, is the roster even talented enough to do that? And obviously everyone seems to be talking about Isaiah Simmons at the moment. I wouldn't have complained with any of the offensive tackles at number eight or even CJ Henderson. He would have filled the spot and given us hope post Patrick Peterson. Somehow I don't feel like Byron Murphy is that guy. But, you know, Simmons isn't a terrible pick. He's just being used terribly. You have so many holes on the defense. It's a damning indictment on Vance Joseph and the staff if they can't even find him a role somewhere. Wasting him on the sidelines is shocking. Wide receiver continues to be an issue, even with DeAndre Hopkins there. He's probably not even 100% yet, and he's still the top guy by a significant margin. The fact that Larry Fitzgerald has been targeted five times over the past two games just seems odd. Obviously, he's not the fits of old, but he's far more reliable. Well, when he's not catching those stupid wide receiver screens that go for negative yards, because, you know, they're so easy to defend against. And then they obviously set the offense back. There's no denying that Kyle is the guy at quarterback, but yesterday was depressing. It was far, far too conservative a game plan. He has an arm, buy him some time, and just let him hurl it ball downfield to Christian Kirk or even Andy Isabella. Stupid short down passes that won't even get first downs, won't get you anywhere in this league. And, you know, let's not even begin on the defence. An absolutely woeful showing last night. He went into the game with the best third down defence in the entire league. And then Carolina just pissed all over it all game long at will. Couldn't get a stop at all, and they were exceptionally lucky when they did. Though, they were down to Carolina mishaps as opposed to incredible defensive play on our part. Used to enjoy watching our defence, but it's missing something. Peter is nowhere near the Peter of old. He's surely not getting an extension. It carries on like this. And if he does get one, Kime's a moron. Chandler Jones, you know, where the fuck is that guy? You see him every play, but he's rarely beating his man. And when he's actually managed it, he's a step too late and the ball is already gone. I did put down, I don't think he had a sack all game, but he does, he had one in week one. Just a massive disappointment so far this season. Uh, the secondary is awful without Buda Baker. I'd rather have a one-handed Buda Baker out there manning the secondary than Curtis fucking Riley. That was one of the worst individual defensive performances I think I can ever remember from a single Cardinals player. I don't like PFF, but I'm intrigued to see how low they scored him. And whether or not it was a historical low for a player who played as much as he did. Fully enough, though, he was actually scored more than Patrick Peterson. If we had any depth, he'd have been yanked off the field way earlier, and we'd have been spared the embarrassment. But if he's not cut this week, then, you know, who knows what's going on there. I gotta say, it's well said, and I'm not going to go back through all of your points there, just, you know, to say that I agree with you. I think in terms of sort of individual performances, you know, there's really no standout at the moment, and especially when you've got big contract guys like Patrick Peterson not pulling their weight, it really shows to me that there must be something systemic, systemically wrong there. You know, the fact that our defense as a whole got their first pick only last week. And let's be fair, it was a lucky pick from Patrick Peterson. He was in the right place at the right time. And it was a, a fault of the opposing quarterback rather than, a you know, something that our defense made happen. And, you know, as a whole unit, it goes, if you're shutting down after losing, like, you know, two players, then 
clearly there's something wrong there. And I think part of it could even be in the sort of management structure that Vance Joseph's put together. You know, nothing goes to show it just like how many times we've been caught with 12 men on the field, which really just should be an inexcusable thing in this season. The weird thing was, you know, you say about we're caught with 12 men on the field. The very next play, they had 10 on the field and that's... Yeah, see, this is the kind of miscommunication that I'm talking about. And, you know, at the time, the commentators put it up to, they said, well, we're missing Buddha Baker. He's our, our guy on the field who, you know, who's calling that communication and stuff. And it's like, you know, the Cardinal spirit has always been a next man up spirit. And realistically, we should have guys in the defense who are able to take that role. You know, there's guys who are senior players who've, you know, got loads of experience. Patrick Peterson's been there for like seven years. Um, Chandler Jones is a senior player who should have the experience and wherewithal to be able to call something like that. And, you know, it's it's shocking to me that that's not come together in that way. Um, because, yeah, it, it really did look like <laughs> it looked like a college team out there against the Panthers. It's happened numerous occasions. I'm sure it's happened in games before this weekend. Uh, yeah, we definitely had 12 on the field in the Lions game once, and we had definitely had it on 12 men on the field in the uh, Washington game. So we've had at least two more games with one instance of that. I mean, it's only like one play, but it still just sends off the wrong sort of signal, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's one play, but, you know, to take it in the, um, you know, context of this Panthers game, it was in the red zone, you know? It's it's a place where you cannot make mistakes. It's a place where a single mistake means going down an entire touchdown. And, you know, there, there was... There was a few times in that Panthers game when we were in the position that we could have clawed it, uh, clawed it back. There was a few times we were down by a single score or two scores. And I wouldn't, you know, like it, our offense, when it's firing on all cylinders, could definitely have made got that job done. But you need the stops. You know, you need those stops to come in and you need turnovers. Specifically, you need to be forcing those turnovers. And that's something that we're not doing. You know, we had excellent three and out defense for a few games and the fact that we've lost all that so quickly is just shocking to me and it makes me wonder if we've been figured out on film or something the thing is that we came into this game leading the nfl in third down defense then carolina converted seven of 11 it was just nowhere wasn't it and the interesting thing is is don't get me wrong i think carolina played really well and i think they've got a good team but it's not like we were up against, you know, one of the absolute best teams in the league. It wasn't like we were playing against the Patriots or the Packers or somebody like that who would normally be making teams look bad. It, you know, people have performed and defended well against the Panthers before. He just controlled the game really well because, like, of the four third downs he didn't convert, they were able to convert one of them on fourth down. And he also picked yeah. up 30 first downs in the game and 444 total yards of offense, totally dominating the time of possession, 37 minutes and 8 seconds, to our 22 minutes and 52 seconds. You don't usually see a gap that much, do you? No, 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 you don't, you don't. That's like a whole quarter. Yeah, exactly. And and what it shows is not only that, you know, they were able to keep keep their offense on the field and, and get those first downs, but it also shows, you know, that, that when they had the ball, they were able to just control that. And they were able to get us off the field much faster as well. You could put some of that bit down to the fact that the offense just, I don't know, I don't know what to say about the offense. Yeah, there, there was like two or three moments that the offense kind of looked like it was getting going. 
and all of them came as a result of a big play downfield, either by Kyler running it or taking a big shot, taking a big throw. And, you know, yet every every first down, every second down, we're out there calling like a wide receiver screen that's just getting blown up in the backfield. It's crazy. Yeah, instead of like vertical passing, they were doing like more of a horizontal passing game and that's not going to get you anywhere in the league. I mean, don't get me wrong, like a, a good wide receiver screen has its place in the league, but you need to balance that out. You know, it needs to be in there with all of the shots downfield and keep the defense honest. Whereas, you know, they pretty much knew that if they sent guys into the backfield, they were going to be able to disrupt something. How many times has a wide receiver screen come off for us this season? Like maybe two or three out of, you know, 50 that have been called. It seems to be something that Cliff likes to use in his offense, but I mean, it's not college anymore. It doesn't work as well. Don't get me wrong, I've seen it work in the pro level as well, and it definitely, you know, it's the sort of thing that can can lead to big yards. As well as that, you know, short yardage plays are your bread and butter, but it almost makes me wonder because, you know, quite often a short yardage play in the NFL would be a cross route, and you'd be passing to just in front of your offensive line to pick up, you know, those same three or four yards or whatever. And I, I almost wonder if it's like, is Kyler short? and not able to like make those throws as reliably over the offensive linemen, you know, those short throws. Is that why we're seeing less Larry Fitzgerald at the moment? Who knows? But, you know, it's you got to be playing in a way both conservatively and aggressively. But the problem with the wide receiver screen is that, sure, it's conservative insofar as you're going to get the ball to your receiver all the time. But it's actually, you know it loses that conservativeness because you're then, you know, when your receiver gets the ball, you're at minus two yards, you're at minus four yards or so, which means that if they then get tackled, they're getting tackled for loss. Whereas if you're making sure you're always got that pass forward, then, you know, even if they get tackled and blown up straight away, you're, you're going to gain yards, you know? I did see one stat, which I thought was interesting to bring up. And that's that Kyler Murray has generated two, of the four lowest passing yard performances with 24 or more completions since 1950. Seriously? Yeah, against the Panthers, on 24 completions, he generated just 133 yards, which is the lowest ever number recorded. That's a, like, that's such a... I'm going to quickly work out, hang on, let me see what that is in yards per pass. It'd be about five point something, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's 5.54, so five and a half yards per pass, which, you know, realistically isn't too bad. But I guess, you know, when you've only got 24 completions, you know, it's not really going to get you anywhere, is it? Is that really down to Cliff's bad play calling, or is Kyler deciding to don the captain check down moniker? I mean, that's a really good question. And the thing is, is, you know, uh, we, we can't be overreacting here, right? Because what we've seen out of four games, as we've seen two games where Kyler is passing really, really well. Arguably three games where he's passing really, really well and a game where he's passing really poorly. And, you know, it makes me wonder with, you know, against the Panthers, were they just able to stop his run so effectively that we didn't notice the low pass, like that we we noticed the low passing yards because he wasn't able to scramble away and pick up a few yards here and there. He did manage to have that 49-yard run, which was a career long, I believe. Yeah, it was a really good run. I genuinely thought he might go all the way, actually. But then he decided to take his slide, as he always does. I've got to say, you know, if we're going to have like a mini positive, I would say that 
you know, Kyler sliding means that I'm not that nervous when I see him run. You know, like back in the day when it was Carson Palmer or something, on the rare occasion that you saw him run, I was like, oh, he looks like he's going to blow up a knee just running. You might play the top when he slides, though. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, Kyler Murray, like at least he's sliding well and, you know, he knows when to get down. He knows when his run is over. But yeah, I, I wonder if the, the reason that we're talking about his poor passing game is just because they shut down his running game so effectively. I think he just shut our run game down effectively as it was anyway. Kenyon Drake did fuck all really it's hard because you know you got a guy like that who's who you're used to being you know just not just a workhorse but somebody who you can rely on in those short yardage situations and he was just getting blown up at the line of scrimmage and you know as well as that we were playing running back option plays that involved him running quite deep into the into the backfield you know he was running laterally again kept trying to have him beat the guy on the edge as well but like I think it came off maybe once or twice in the game. He was definitely looking for that edge, and and he did occasionally find it. But you know, even when he did, they they had depth at that position. You know, they were in, in terms of physical depth down the field. They were literally two, three men deep sometimes. And it's like even if you do manage to turn the corner, and even if you do manage to get going in the right direction, then you're immediately going to hit traffic. Um, it definitely seems like the playbook didn't have a counter for what the Panthers were doing. And um, I suspect that everyone else on our schedule for the rest of the season is going to have taken quite a lot of note of that. The weird thing with Drake as well, last year he was targeted 5.6 times a game. So far this season, he's been thrown to five times in four games. Yeah, I saw this stat as well. And part of me wondered if it's because we've bolstered our wide receiver core quite a bit. And they've decided, you know, we don't really want a running back who's also catching balls. We want a running back who's got a sole purpose job, who can occasionally get out there in in interesting play situations, or if he's unmarked and not needing to block somebody. We don't even see any running back screens though from our offense. No, we don't. Don't really. It's not. Doesn't tend to be a thing that we see that often. And even though it's a staple of the Madden games. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I wonder if the reason Kenyon Drake's seeing less targets is because. Um, we're targeting Nook all the time. He he is seeing by far the largest share of all targets, you know. I did see a stat earlier this afternoon where he's caught 39 passes so far this season. The three replacements in Houston for him have combined for 41. <laughs> well, Bill O'Brien is now out of a job as of this morning, so that seems like, a, yeah, seems about right. I just hope they didn't reverse the trade now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine if there was a way that they could do that. But um, yeah, thankfully the trade has gone through and it's fine. He's our player now, sorry. He is our player now. Uh, one negative I've got down is the turnover. Again, yeah. that's on Kyler Murray for holding on to the ball for way too long. Like we mentioned last week, he decided to look for the big play when there was a wide open Andy Isabella scurrying across the line that would have gained the first down and more. Instead, they ended up losing possession. Yeah, I think that was a hard one because like that that whole play to me looked like it fell apart. It looked like our blocking scheme was, you know, in shambles. And it looked like, you know, there was a lot of people marked and stuff like that. And, you know, definitely it's the sort of thing that would have been quite nice to see him just, you know, take the sack. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And if we're complaining about them, you know, not taking enough big shots then we can't also necessarily complain about holding on to the ball too long and stuff like that. I mean, admittedly, this is potentially way too long, but 
I would rather see, you know, the occasional hit like this than, you know, just constantly running those wide receiver screens. Isn't the thing that usually they should get the ball, get rid of the ball after like two Mississippis? I think he had it for like five or six. I think it's, is it not? It's two Mississippis once they have completed their drop back, I think. Um, I never did play quarterback, but yeah, you, you should be looking to get rid of the ball quite quickly. But equally, you know, if you've got guys running downfield, they need time to get down there, right? We're a long chair quarterbacks at heart, though. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it, Luckily, the turnover battle wasn't as bad as last week when we were a delta of three. And then I think this one, was this one neutral? It was, yes, because we had the interception. They had the sack fumble recovery. Man, it doesn't feel like it was neutral, though. But, you know, I would say that, you know, in a way they got kind of lucky with that being a fumble that was then recoverable and everything like that. And a split seconds difference either way. And either he gets that pass out, he, he doesn't. And therefore it's a dead ball. You know, it's like, damned if you do damned if you don't kind of thing and uh i don't know i I would rather i would rather see this thing occasionally as long as it also meant that we were able to get off big plays when we needed it because if i remember correctly that came in a situation when we needed a score like we weren't we're score or bust pretty much yeah it was it was getting to that point in the game and the, the offense needed something big to pick them up and unfortunately it just went the other way it would have just been nice for them to take that risk, you know, earlier in the game, I guess, when there's less at stake. But it was like, they seemed to get ahead pretty early on. They did, yeah. I think they scored on their first possession after like a 14-play drive or something stupid like that. Yeah, that was one of the things that we just couldn't get off the field all game long. It was just like on and on, Canberra ball. I think it ended up being like a 12-minute drive, you know, like what a way to control the game. You know, if you... If you knock out most of the first quarter and then hand the ball back having scored seven, you know, that's a really disruptive play to make. And then obviously your own offense goes free and out. Well, you know, if, if ever there was a time to get people rallied up and especially, you know, one of the things I think that was really interesting was this is the first time that the Cardinals have played against in, in front of a crowd since like December. The, the Panthers had a crowd cheering them on and, you know, admittedly, it was such a small crowd that I can't imagine they would have been making so much noise as to disrupt the offense. But I imagine, you know, it's the sort of thing that helps energy get going. You know, like a lot of teams have been having to make their own energy and here the Panthers are, you know, getting cheered on for what they're doing, whereas the Cardinals are getting, you know, stony silence. I think it was like five and a half thousand in the in attendance. Yeah. So it's not much, but, you know, it's I guess it could be a difference. Didn't seem to make much noise on the broadcast, though. Yeah, the broadcast is hard to tell because quite often they're chucking in fake crowd noise on top of that kind of crowd noise. But, um, you know, you never know what it's like at the stadium. I imagine that it makes a difference when, you know, you've got people cheering for you and things like that. I think one of the biggest negatives from this game was Curtis Riley's performance. It just seemed to be like every time they targeted a guy in his area or that he was covering, it was just a completion in the game afterwards. Obviously, he was kind of out of his depth and everything, but frankly, it's a bit shocking that that he still has a job at the moment. And he played 61 snaps as well. That's when you know it's tough. Here's the interesting thing, right, is in week one, when Simmons was on the field, the 49ers started picking on him, right? The 49ers started throwing all these balls in his direction, and they were trying to make him make a mistake. And then Vance Josephs took him off the field and said, right, you know, you you calm down. We'll put you in for specific packages and nothing else. 
the interesting thing for me is like why why not do that with Curtis Riley when it's clear that they are sending passes his way, they are running plays in his direction deliberately because they know he is not playing well. The only reason they wouldn't be able to take him out was the fact that they had no backup behind him. The only other free safety, I think, was Charles Washington. Yeah, it, and Washington was on the field occasionally as well here doing hee-haw. It really goes to show, you know, if we've not got depth at that position, we need to be looking at bringing in a, probably an outside agent. Although the NFL have now made that harder with all this COVID stuff. They have made that harder, that is true. I suppose the good thing is, though, that this week we might be able to get back Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, and potentially Chris Banjo. Yeah, my uh, like sincere hope is that we get a defense back to normal because I can't imagine how embarrassing it would be to get like 20 points scored on you by the Jets. But we'll get onto the Jets a bit later on in the podcast because. Yeah, definitely. I think we've broken down that game enough now, so. Let's move on to some fantasy football. And maybe we've got some positives in here for once. <laughs> How'd you get on in Bird Gang Ball? I mean, for once, I've actually won in the Bird Gang Ball this week. Nice. It's been an up and down season, and I'm now at 2-2 two and two for the season. After winning 216.1 to 142.94 this week. Ooh. Yeah, I got big points from George Kittle, 40.1. And Amari Cooper got 33.4. And then Kyle Amari, Mike Davis, and the Kansas City defense all put up 20 points as well. Very nice, very nice. And I did all that even with a player scoring nothing. Who did you have who scored nothing? Uh, Chris Thompson of the Jaguars. Sometimes you get unlucky, I guess. Yeah, I just really didn't use him at all. Yeah, I, sometimes you need to just bring somebody in to fill a gap and, you know... Um... I've I've known that pain with trying to fill gaps from, you know, like Titans players who all of a sudden weren't playing this week. But yeah, you know, managed to make it work, I guess. Yeah. So how did you do in the Bird Gang Bowl this week? Uh, I also won, taking me up to second place. So uh, I won 158.52 to 123.4 against Jeff and Buddha Baker's dozen, which was definitely not going my way at some point. Uh, but then, you know, George Kittle scores 40 points. So um, that, that got me the win pretty much. It's good to have him back. Yeah, my, my eternal struggle with that team is that I've actually got, I've got Kyler Murray, but I've also got Aaron Rodgers. And I'm always kind of, like struggling with which to put in you know my philosophy for for weeks now has always been like well kyler murray can really go off and he can get you know direct touchdowns and stuff like that you know in recent weeks it's making me think maybe i should be starting aaron Rodgers instead it reminds me in my one of my other leagues where i've got both josh allen and patrick mahomes at quarterback Ooh. so every week i've got to weigh up which one do i choose <laughs> there's nothing worse than having like a player just go off on your bench is it i mean to be fair the other has actually scored well this series like when i've like chosen them it's not like one scored like 10 points and the other's got like 50 odd i mean i'll tell you uh tell you my, my sob story quickly in another league i have um the chuckle brothers i.e jarvis landry and odell beckham um, and I benched them both to shuffle around my team because I wanted to find a space for Austin Eckler this week, who went down injured after scoring 1.4 points, while the other boys combined for more than 50 points uh, between them. So. It's easily done, and obviously I can 
sympathise with all the injuries in fantasy football. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of injuries, how how's your dynasty league going? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, you know it's not your season when you're playing a team who ends up scoring nearly 90 points more than their projections, and yours can't even manage to make it. <laughs> yeah. So you, you lost by like a stupid number of points then, right? You lost by like more than 100 points. Yeah, technically more than 100 points. Oh, that's great. Can you kick it? Managed to beat me 241.02 to 140.08. Oh, man. It's just so depressing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're the hardest hit in that league with injuries. Um, Although I'm not complaining because it does mean that I am number one overall, 4-0 in that league, 171 points to 165.66 points this week. So a close win, but a win is a win. Um, I did have to do some some uh, juggling around, and I probably will still have to do some juggling around this week with COVID and things like that. But um, you know, I'll take what I can get. I mean, I was looking at the league standings earlier in this dynasty league, and like, I've scored the lowest points, but then I've also had like more than anyone else conceded against me. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's like these are the kind of things that show you that in a lot of ways, fantasy football can be down to luck. You know, I've had teams in the past which have been, like, down near the bottom of the league while still scoring one of the highest overall total points in the league. You know, sometimes it's just who you're playing against in any given week. I mean, I might have some players back from injury this week, so that'll be something at least. Yeah, I imagine that the, you know, injury hell from week two or three will start to, you know, ease up a little bit on people and, and we'll start to see some changes in, in order and stuff like that. But still, I'm going to enjoy 4-0 while I can. And I'm going to cry of it 0-4. <laughs> and 0-5, and 0-6, and 0-7. Well, at least you can tank for first pick next year. Yes, and a trophy for finishing last. Ah, that's true. Add to my collection. <laughs> there is one place where I'm actually getting one over you this week, though, and that's in the weekly pick'ems. Yeah, you won uh, 12 to 10 this week on that, which is, you know, cutting down my lead a little bit. So I think I'm still in the lead, but only by one point. You've got 48, I think, and I'm on 47 now. Yeah. Fourth place in the British Bird Gang League, because there's a few few on 47, I think, now. Yeah, uh, I'm, still, I'm still technically first, so I'll take it. And I don't think it'll change too much this week, because we've only got the one difference from the week four slate of games. Yeah, well, it means that either you and I will be tied or I'll be two points ahead next week. So, um, yeah, we've, we've managed to pick almost the exact same slate of games, which isn't hard this week because there's a lot of very, very one-sided games happening. We've both gone for Tampa Bay to beat Chicago, Carolina to beat Atlanta, Baltimore to beat Cincinnati, Houston to beat Jacksonville, Kansas City to beat the Raiders, Pittsburgh to beat Philadelphia, Buffalo to beat Tennessee, Rams to beat Washington, San Francisco over Miami, New England over Denver, Dallas over New York Giants, Seattle over Minnesota, and New Orleans over the LA Chargers. Yeah, big list of people we agree on really this week, but I don't think there's anything too controversial there. I think there is one where we've both gone against the percentage though. And that's the Carolina-Atlanta game. Yeah, we've both chosen Carolina to beat Atlanta, but given the games that Atlanta has managed to give up so far this season, I don't think they've got the best of luck. And to be honest, you know, after watching 
a full Carolina game. I do think to some extent they're legit. I think that we played badly against them for sure. Um, but I think, you know, them proving that they can bounce back and they can have these kind of games even in the absence of some of their star players is, um, you know, it, it shows that they can play well. And also it doesn't help that Atlanta have lost a couple of guys to injury. I think they lost Julio Jones last night, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, although he's been less and less of a key player for them in the past few years. But, you know, I think uh, it's definitely swung more in Carolina's favour after the injuries that they picked up last night. Which means our only difference this week is the Indianapolis Colts against the Cleveland Browns. I, for one, am a believer. Um, I think the Browns are going all the way. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's, the Browns had a, a hell of a game against Dallas, and the question is, can they keep up that momentum? I mean, they were playing against the Dallas defense, which has given up like 500 plus yards for like two or three weeks in a row now. I think. Yeah, I think I think they are the number 32 defense in the league now. So, um, you know, it, it's not hard to score a lot of points against them, but still putting up nearly 50 points even against a bad defense, is no easy task. I mean, I could see them winning, but I've decided to go with the Colts on this one. I mean, the Colts have been playing well, but they've picked up a few injuries as well, haven't they? I think they have, yeah, but they've got they've actually got depth to like... Ah, yeah, depth. I remember what depth was like. What's depth? <laughs> you don't have that in Arizona. Yeah, that's a truck. No, I think uh, I think this could be an interesting game to watch, to be honest, and it will either be a total dumpster fire or it will be a really close and interesting to watch match. Um, but I think the thing that impressed me about Cleveland the most was the fact that all of their scoring plays were so different. You know, they had such a versatile offense. And I think that, you know, if you were watching tape of that, you'd be hard pressed to find a place to start. Yeah, because I mean, they had a couple of trick play touchdowns, didn't they? Because they had Odell Beckham on a 50 yard reverse. Then he also caught a touchdown pass from Jarvis Landry. He did, while they were both sitting on my bench. No, I, I, a few trick plays. One score that seemed to be accidental, as far as anyone can tell, um, like an accidental two-point score, you know, all that sort of stuff. But still, I think, you know, that's that's going to be a hard thing to defend against. Should we move on to our game preview for this week? Yeah, let's go for it. And the game this week for the Cardinals is at the New York Jets. The 0-4 New York Jets. The butt of everyone's joke, New York Jets. Yeah. Yeah, these um, these Jets have not been playing well uh, at all. But imagine if we actually lost to them against every person's like predictions. Yeah, that's the scary thing, isn't it? I mean, I think to some extent it goes to show, you know, like if we, we came out of a, a relatively big thrashing against um, Panthers and we didn't even talk about it, but I think the scoreline, you know, anyone who watched the game knows that the game was worse than the scoreline showed it to be. You know, we're still predicted, I think, by 97% of people to win this game. That being said, you know, we're we're Cardinals fans. We've seen worse things come out. You know, we were meant to beat the Lions by a significant margin, and yet we got beaten there. I, I'm genuinely a little bit scared going in. I still think we'll win, but I think that the danger isn't hasn't gone away. Yeah, and it's a team as well that we've only played nine times so far. Like in the entire history of both franchises. Which is totally crazy, really, isn't it? Because the Jets are an old team as well. Yeah, the Jets lead the all time series six to three, which I mean is embarrassing in itself, but yeah. I suppose they weren't always bad. No, they weren't always bad. Um, 
But the Cardinals did win the last one, which was during the bad era um, for the Jets. And it was actually it was the 2016 Cardinals won 28 to 3, um, which I think would be quite a nice scoreline these days, wouldn't it? I'd definitely take that right now if it was offered to me. Yeah. You know, I think in a way we could really look at this game as being quite an exciting one, quite a positive one, because I think that the Cardinals really at the moment could probably do with a lift and going in and just like beating down on the Jets to prove that they have what it takes is going to be a huge, huge boost to the team. On the If it goes the other way, it's going to be a huge detriment as well. But hopefully, you know, if we can go in, we can get this win, which we should be able to get. Let's not, you know, overreact to, to last week's game. There is no way we shouldn't beat the Jets. I mean, they probably said that back in 2008 as well, which was one of the first Cardinals games I actually remember watching when it finished the New York Jets 56, Arizona Cardinals 35. <laughs> Some dude called Brett Favre threw six touchdowns I, for. I was about to say, that was when they had Brett Favre at quarterback, which is a very, very different era to the era that they're in now. The Jets putting up 56 points in any circumstances if they had like no defense on the field i wouldn't manage to i don't think they would manage to put up 56 points today actually and the thing is all the cardinals points in that game all came in the second half they were actually shut out in the first half it was yeah it was quite a uh slaughter if i remember correctly and yet i decided to still continue to be a cardinals fan <laughs> just shows you're loyal in it you know it's i mean it could have been worse i could have chosen the Jets instead, and then like oh. even more years of misery. Oh man, yeah. Still, you know, speaking of the Jets, I mean, in terms of danger, man, you know, Le'Veon Bell is looking like he, well, he's eligible to return from IR, right? Like, doesn't mean he's gonna return. Yeah, he like had a hamstring pull, so obviously he's in my fantasy team in the dynasty league. So obviously he got injured. Yeah. <laughs> Do you fancy picking up a few more Jets players just to make sure? No, one's enough. One's too many, actually. <laughs> Yeah, so he's eligible to return. Um, although their backfield, you know, I, as far as I can tell, they were pretty similar on yards before and after because, um, you know, their offensive line isn't making any running lanes for them to go into, whether they're Le'Veon Bell or not. Yeah, and especially now they've got like 70-year-old Frank Gore leading the way. I mean, that like when you say 70, I'm, I'm not even sure if you're joking or not. That guy is like old now. I think he's 37, 38, something like that. Which is just wild for a running back. That is just absolutely nuts. But there you go. Probably still be playing when his son reaches the NFL. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest. I mean, he's like got some sort of secret stuff, I'm telling you. I think he needs to be... Um, coaching people on on injury avoidance or something like that. And of course, he also had an injury to Sam Donald in the Thursday night football game. And I was reading earlier this afternoon that he may actually hold him out of this game and let Joe Flacco take the Sackos in his place. <laughs> I mean, we'd have to get pressure first to game sacked, you know. Yeah, exactly. The defense actually needs to step up, you know, like regardless of whether we're playing against a poor team or not, you know, the, the defense needs to play better than they played last week. Do you think there'll be much of a difference whether we put whether we're against Sam Darnold or Joe Flacco? I mean, Sam Darnold got picked off like six times in the first game of the season. I don't think it would make much of a difference, really, because they're both a similar type of quarterback. It's not like you're going from like a... Like Colin Kaepernick to Alex Smith, something like that. You know, an actual passer to some guy who can just run with the ball. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's a reason that Sam Darnold has won the starting job off of Joe Flacco. Like, I know people are saying that they, the Jets coaches are incompetent, but I'm sure that they can't have been playing the wrong quarterback for this long. I mean, you've invested a lot into Sam Darnold, haven't you? You took him, like, really early on in the draft, so you're going to stick by him no matter what. I would equally say, you know, if you're the Jets, if you can get any win at all, then you're going to be pushing for any way that you can get that win. Yeah, and it's not like Donald's a terrible quarterback either way. No, I think it's, you know, the whole system is is crumbling around that that team, you know, like it's it's not even just the team, it's not just the players, it's that the, the management, the coaching staff, everything. You need to clear house to get that rot, you know, cleared out, but yeah, I I think uh, it would be interesting to see, you know, if if Joe Flacco comes in and was able to do anything better. And but equally, you know, I'm hoping that with the Cardinals being at least a tier or two tiers above the Jets, you know, we would be seeing uh, quite an improvement in performance from the Cardinals. How low on the tiers are the Jets in this imaginary list of yours? surely you've got to have Jets as your number 32 team. I mean, I wouldn't put any argument towards that. Yeah, I don't think there's there's a single team that even really comes close to them at this point. You know, I think that they're they're like sub-NFL tier pretty much. They're just there because, you know, we need 32 teams. We'll get the jokes about how Alabama could beat them or some big college football team. They'll just come in and beat them. I've always wanted to see how that would play out. But, you know, genuinely at this point, like given given the scores they've been getting put up against them, given their performances, I wouldn't put it past them. But you know, we 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 can't discount it. You know, it's the cardiac cards after all. Exactly, and also the Cardinals are deciding not to stay on the East Coast. Had COVID not been a thing, they'd have probably done so mm-hmm. after the Carolina game. So instead, they're going to return to Arizona and then fly back to the East Coast at the weekend. I would hope that they would maybe even consider staying on East Coast time, you know, for all the practices and stuff for the sake of one week. I mean, a player revolt about <laughs> They might do, that's fair. But, like, it's something that we've historically struggled with because it's effectively, for those players, like a 10 a.m. kickoff, I think. And it's just always messed with them. You know, it's like the Cardinals traveling East has has never turned out well for them. But at least in the, you know, back in the day, in the before times, in the long, long ago, before COVID, um, you know, we would have been able to find a practice facility where we would have been, you know, staying over there in hotels and stuff like that. And that kind of at least keeps people's bodies, body clocks, you know, a bit more in the right place. And, you know, we've, we've then got, admittedly, it's not much jet lag, but, you know, we've got that travel problem um, again next week, which definitely might contribute to, as not playing at 100%. You should also try being a British Cardinals fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, admittedly, that that 6pm uh, kickoff bracket is is quite nice sometimes because as much as I like watching the uh, red zone for the first kickoffs, uh, it's also nice to be able to go to bed at a normal time on a Sunday night. Unless you have a really bad showing and you just don't feel like doing anything, including sleep. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I don't want, don't care, don't want to do anything. But please don't give us one of them again this weekend, Arizona. Oh God, I really, really hope not. To be honest, like even even a win, you know, unless it's a convincing win, would almost be a loss to me. Yeah, exactly. If we're going to beat them like by one point or something like that, you know, just may as well not bother. Just take the loss. <laughs> With the Jets, you really need to have like a convincing win, or at least like let's say a convincing first half. I mean, I'd take a convincing second half because we've never had one of them. That's true, actually, yeah. 
Should we go for some prediction? Well, where do you think this is? Yeah, I was going to say, where do you think, you know, this this is a hard game to predict a score for. I think you'll finish nil-nil. <laughs> I mean, for me, like, my, my score prediction depends a lot on whether we get Buda Baker back. Yeah, but we have to do the predictions now because otherwise, how would we get them into the podcast? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what, what's, what's your prediction? What are you going to go for? I'm going to go for the same score as last time we played them, 28 for the Cardinals, and they'll say 13 for the Jets. So you're kind of you're predicting they're going to get a few more scores in than last time? And because I want some Jamison Crowder points from a fantasy team. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, 28-13 I think would be respectable, especially if you know their touchdown comes in the, in the closing minutes in garbage time or something like that. It's at this point, I would love to be able to predict over 30, but I don't know that our offense is able to sustain the level of play that it needs to get to 30 points. So I think I'm going to need to go uh, go similar to you. I'm going to probably go 24, um, but I'm going to say the Jets pick up 7. 24-7, just like our British Bank Arizona Cardinals coverage. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to that one though. You know, just like make you stay up for a week, see how crazy your tweets get. I could just schedule them. No one would be anything otherwise. Ah, ah. And speaking of Twitter, if you're not following us on Twitter, go follow us at British Bird Gang. If you're not if you don't like us on Facebook, rectify that at facebook.com forward slash British Bird Gang. And join the group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash British Bird Gang. Buy British Bird Gang merch at britishbirdgang.tmail.com and of course get your British Bird Gang magnets by sending me £3 on the pinned tweet on Twitter where all the information is. See, we went straight into plugs there. Good segue. Uh, and speaking of segues, uh, I guess that's time for, for us to make like a segue and leave. And hopefully we have a more delightful episode next week, not more disappointment. I'm kind of hoping this is like getting the negativity out of the way and we'll be done. Exactly. It's one of those like things, isn't it? Meditation things, get rid of all the negative energy. Yeah. Just, just like let it go, you know, um, and hopefully then we will, we will be on to, you know, being back above a 500 record. We will have beat the Jets um, and, you know, everything will be right with the world again. Except for COVID. COVID will still be here. Except for COVID, that will still be here. That's very true. And probably in, in more lockdown by that point as well. So fun with that. But think positive thoughts. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.